If you've ever wanted to know what values-driven leadership is, then you're in for a masterclass. Because on this episode of the 11th Thing podcast, I will be exploring this topic with my special guest, chief executive, academic, speaker and author, Dr. David L. Schreiner. My name is Paul Aladinika, and you are listening to the 11th Thing podcast. Welcome to episode 6 of the 11th Thing podcast. This episode is a further exploration of the nine principles of exceptional leadership, which I covered in episode 3. So if you've not had the chance to catch that episode, please do have a listen as it will provide some really useful context. Okay, so here's what you can look forward to in this instalment. I'm going to start by introducing my special guest, Dr. David Schreiner. Then, drawing on David's experience, we're going to discuss the concept of values-driven leadership. Then I'm going to invite David to offer a few takeaways for listeners. And finally, I'm going to invite David to talk about his forthcoming book. So, the special guest for this episode is Dr. David L. Schreiner. David is passionate about rural hospitals, having spent most of his life in small towns and working in small communities. David considers himself a values-driven leader, which he defines as one who lives in the moment, has an unquenchable thirst for continual learning, challenges existing practices, produces positive results, innovates to improve the lives of others, and loves unconditionally. David's leadership life perspective is driven by improving himself, his family, his friends, his community, and the world at large with optimism and love. David is an academic, a healthcare leader, and a multi-award winner. He and his wife, Stephanie, have two children and two granddaughters. And his first book, which will be available in January 2024, and which we will be talking about at the end of this podcast, is titled Be the Best Part of Their Day, Supercharging Communication with Values driven leadership. Dr. David Schreiner, a very warm welcome to the 11th Thing podcast. It's a great honor to have you on. And it's an honor to be here, Paul. That's a very kind introduction. Thank you. And those are aspirational. And I smile (laughs) as I'm listening and hope to live up to some of those. Excellent. Okay, so values-driven leadership. What's the backstory to this, David? And why should leaders care about being value-driven? The backstory for me, Paul, is as many as four to five years ago, before the international pandemic, um, I had been in the role of chief executive officer and president of a rural community hospital for about seven or eight years. And I found that I was not living up to my own expectations. I wouldn't call it burnout, but it was pretty close to that. And so I was looking for a way to reconnect with my passion. And I was having lunch with a friend of mine that had completed a doctoral program in values-driven leadership. And when I saw the curriculum, it was exactly what I was looking for. And I found out more about what that means. And then I developed my own definition of values-driven leadership for me. And I fundamentally changed the way that I interact with the people that are most important to me. I call them our key constituents. Mm. And it really changed the way that, uh, that I brought myself to, to my work and to my personal life as well. Interesting. So you, you talk about change. In, in what way? What were the sort of fundamental 
ways in which values-driven leadership had an impact on you and also an impact on those that you work with? The change for me, Paul, came through understanding of appreciative inquiry. And I'm not sure if that's something that you or listeners to your podcast have studied. It was a program that was developed by Dr. David Cooperwriter at Case Western University in Ohio in the United States. And it really is a method that seeks to identify and highlight either a person or an organization's strengths and passions, that life-giving force. It looks for times when we were operating at our best. And so for me, that changed the way that I looked at opportunities and challenges. And I try to come at things from an appreciative approach as a, pro, as a compared to a deficit approach and trying to, to look at that positive way of what would this look like if we were performing, if we were getting the results that we hope to get, and what can we do to make that happen? And it, it really changed the way that I interact with colleagues and with the people that are most important to me. That's fascinating. So give me give us an example of, of what that looks like in situ. So give us a practical example of values di- driven leadership as you've just described it. The example that I like to use, Paul, is I work in a small community. So when my wife and I go out for dinner, it's uh, not only unexpected, but it's common that someone will come up and talk about their experience at the hospital. And that's the job I signed up for. I love that. My wife doesn't love it quite as much as I do. <laughs> One example of that is a person comes to my table and begins complaining about his or her bill, her hospital bill. No one likes bills, right? And they complain about something. In the past, I would begin with apologies and talk about trying to connect them with the appropriate people to get that taken care of. The appreciative approach is to ask that person what that bill might look like if it met and exceeded all of their expectations. Mm. What could be on that bill? How could our organization present that in a way that felt proper to them? And it completely changes the attitude, I think, and at least the way that that person responds to me. When we come from an appreciative approach as opposed to a deficit approach, it changes the conversation. That's one of my favorite examples of appreciative inquiry. That's fascinating. That is that is really fascinating. And in terms of, I mean, one of the things that I found quite interesting reading some of the material that you have produced, David, particularly on your website, is, is that you mentioned love. And why do you think love is such an important part of, of, of being values-driven? That L word is something that not all of us are used to using or comfortable using. Yeah. In today's environment, I do think we have to be a little bit careful because we don't want to make others uncomfortable. We want to do the opposite. Yeah. But if I have in my mind that I'm treating people with love, even if it's the way that I consider that might be, yeah. I think I have a greater chance of connecting with them in a meaningful way. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's, we've all heard about the golden rule and the platinum rule. And, you know, we can talk a lot about asking people how they want to be treated. And that's probably yeah. more important than treating them the way we want to be. But yeah. I do think that thinking about love and that idea of we have the same goals, we're likely aligned on a, on a huge number of things. So let's focus on the things we're aligned on and work our way through some differences of opinions we might have. I think that's more important now than ever, Paul, when we live in a world where it's you have one opinion and I have a second and I don't want to listen to yours. I just want to tell you mine. Mm. And I think interacting with the thought of love changes that. I want to understand more about what you say. I want to be interested more than I want to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's the other interesting thing about about love. I've, I've had um, on a previous podcast, one of my guests 
spoke about servant leadership and I've had another guest expounding on the topic of authentic leadership and and love is very much at the core of both authentic leadership and servant leadership how do you see the values driven leadership approach fitting in with both those leadership approaches so servant leadership and also leadership authenticity that's such a great question paul and i sometimes struggle with separating out especially um authentic leadership with values driven leadership mm. um, but for me the difference is the definition that I have for values-driven actions. Yeah, I've taken the time to create this living tree based on the work of Dr. James Gustafson at Benedictine University. And it's something that I put together that I revisit periodically. I might go out to it every three months and say, are these still the things that matter the most to me? And am I living my values? So certainly a values-driven leadership comes from a place of servant leadership. I believe they're very closely connected. Mm -hmm. And the difference might be for me, a focus and coming back to those values frequently. Mm -hmm. And just on the subject of, of values, how does how do leaders effectively communicate their values to others in a way that will ensure that those to whom they're communicating those values to embrace and own them. That that must be challenging sometimes with leaders if, if people don't necessarily share those same values. I think it's often challenging. And my thought when you ask that question is, don't tell me what your values are, show mm, me. Exactly. Right. I think it's yeah. the way that we interact with others. And I also think it's an opportunity to discuss values. Yeah. And sometimes if we have something that you and I might not be perfectly aligned around, maybe that question can go to what are your values that impact the way you see the situation? And I in no way would even attempt to change your values. But if I understand them, it might impact my approach. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And I think for me, that's absolutely critical. I think your point about living your values rather than just speaking your values is, is a critical point of intersection in making sure that your values are actually transferable. Um, because if people don't, if people don't feel that you, you um, believe or own what you're selling, they're not going to want to buy what you're selling. No, I completely agree. And the other thing that I do is I make this living tree available to the members of our organization. We have 950 employees in a small rural hospital. I, I ask them to challenge me if they see a, not, a time when I'm not living these values. I want to know about that. Mm -hmm. And maybe just as importantly, if they see a time when I am, that feels pretty good if they notice that as well. Positive reinforcement is good. Absolutely. And what would you say are some of the main challenges of, of cascading those values through the organization? So what I'm specifically um, interested in, David, is the organization's business system. So yes, behavior is absolutely critical and essential. That's the pointy end. But what about some of the business system elements? So for example, your policies, your your strategies, and your governance system. How does how do you see values-driven leadership shaping and steering the organizational business system? I've spent my cr entire career in healthcare, Paul. And for me, if we take care of the patient, if we do the best thing in the best interest of the patient, not necessarily what the patient always wants, but the thing that's in the best interest of the patient, then we have a better chance of meeting our organizational goals. When we have conflict, we usually have a disconnect 
between what was best for the patient. So one of the ways that we try to cascade that in our organization is it's patient first, organization second, mm. and third. Yeah. And we come back to that quite often, especially in disciplinary situations, we can often see and you can imagine how that might get turned around. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that 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 is that is very true indeed. And and how deeply anchored do you think values should be in in leadership? Is it for example, is there ever a situation in which a leader should be willing to compromise on their values? I don't think so. My <laughs> pause my pause was around that place if patient if I believe and I do patient first, organization second, individual third. Can I imagine a situation where something that would be best for the patient would be outside my values? Yeah. There could be some things related to our religious beliefs, for example, Sure. that where my beliefs might differ from others. And then we have to go back to the leaders in our organizations that form our ethics committee and make sure that we're serving the patient in the best way possible. If we might have our own biases that impact that. Yeah. Does that reasonable situation where there might be conflict there yeah yeah and it's interesting because i i tend to see values as being a core component of not just individual integrity but also organizational integrity i think if an organization has a sort of flexible relationship with its values or if individuals have flexible relationships a flexible relationship with their values then they really shouldn't expect to be trusted and you know credibility tends to bleed away very quickly um if people don't feel that values are deeply rooted and deeply uh, and closely held i completely agree with that and i would also suggest that we are going to have times in our professional and personal work when exactly what you described happens and that's a perfect time to go back and redefine those values. That's right. That's Are those right. values still consistent with what I believe? Have yeah. I had learnings or experiences over the last quarter or six months that have impacted my values? Mm. Because we are dynamic, organic people and things change. And that doesn't mean your core values will change. But I think there can be work done around the edges that help us to refine and define our values in a more meaningful way. And it really feels good when we do that, Paul. It feels good to look at these things and say, my growth as a person has impacted my values. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So as a values-driven leader, David, can you give me an example of an outcome that has been achieved that would not have been achieved without a values-driven approach? So again, sort of thinking about Thinking of your position as a, as a chief executive, you, you will have a, a, a clear corporate view of your organization, what the organization is delivering, the impact that it's having on, on, on patients and service users. You know, can you give us an example of something you think, well, you know what, without the values driven approach, that would never have happened? I can. And it's very hard to measure culture. But one way that we do that is through employee engagement surveys. And we partner with a company called Press Ganey, who is the leader in the space in the United States. And every year we survey our employees. When we brought in the values-driven concepts that I go through in my book, and we talk about the three major themes, and then these five subsequent themes under each one of those categories, we believe that we drove engagement. And in a one-year period, we doubled our employee engagement scores, wow. which our Press Ganey representative described as unprecedented, wow. something that he had not seen. Now, there are always 
multiple things that impact that, right, Paul? I mean, we were coming out of the pandemic. Our workforce was in a better place than they were the year before when we were right in the middle of COVID. So there are always multiple levers that impact engagement. But I believe from the bottom of my heart that these principles influenced that success. That That is pretty phenomenal. Uh, that is really phenomenal. And then in terms of values themselves, are there specific ones, David, that you would say, you know, above all, these are absolutely critical, particularly in an organizational setting, and particularly when you're considering the important role of leaders? Are there specific values that you think these are anchor values? These are foundational values? One of those for me is a leader as a result driver. Yeah. And I think people want to be held accountable. I do. I report to our board of directors. I want them to expect and be updated about where we are on key metrics. And so that's something that's important. And at the same time, we want to be tough minded on standards and tender hearted people. So we want to talk about the metrics improving or not improving. And if not improving, we want to provide resources and not attack the person for the results that they're not getting. So we have a job. I mean, I have a job to have high patient engagement, to have high employee engagement, to have certain quality standards and financial results that are important to a rural hospital. Uh, I want to be a driver in a way that moves our organization in a positive direction. So that results driver is important. And you could think, does that seem like that's in contrast with values-driven leadership? I don't think it is. One of our values is to um, be effective in the work that we do. Mm. Yeah. And then give me a situation, or an example of a situation in which your values have been tested. What happened? What did you learn? What 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 difference did it make? I mean, what I'm trying to get at, David, is is how resilient have you had to be as a leader, as a senior leader, in holding firm to your values in the face of in the face of challenge and 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 trials. The example that I'll give Paul is that one of the things that taglines that we have used at KSB Hospital is it's the people. Yeah, we believe that our patients and our employees drive everything that we do and they're a reason for the organization. The biggest disconnect that I have and the time that's most challenging for me is when we need to separate someone for the organization for ethical uh, missteps. And it's incredibly difficult. And you can imagine it's especially difficult when we have a provider or a member of our team that is very high producing and there's action that's not consistent with our organizational values and we have to make the decision to part ways. That's very difficult for everyone involved. It has a um, it has an impact on the care that we deliver to our community. It's difficult to result, or I'm sorry, to recruit into rural communities. And so when we let a physician, for example, go, it's difficult to fill that spot. Yeah. And yet it's still the right thing to do. And if those missteps are far enough outside of our organizational values, then it's the only decision that can be made. That's interesting. And you actually neatly come on to the next point I was going to raise, which was about the recruitment of leaders who share your values. How do you, how do you, I I mean, I've been involved in many, many recruitment processes over the years, and you can never be a hundred percent sure of who you're getting in. And obviously a recruitment process, an interview process is an artificial environment. People tell you to a large extent what you want to hear because they want the role that you're offering. How do you ensure to the extent possible that when you're recruiting leaders, that their values reflect your values? 
I'm smiling because I'm thinking of the 30 minute interview with a physician candidate that we're about ready <laughs> to give a very high dollar contract and allow them yeah. to be in exam rooms with our patients. Wow. And- Make sure that they're the right person. And and the word that I think of and that I try to go into important interviews uh, is passion. I always try to discover their passion. And it's nice if it's something related to their work, but it's not always. But what that passion is, is very telling about how they see the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to discover that in that short time that we might have together. Uh, You can see some of that by looking at social media profiles and talking to references, although it's so hard to get real references anymore. But I think in that one-to-one time we get that we spend together, that's important. The other thing that I look for is if we have a person come into our organization, I'll go down afterwards to our person at the front desk that met them when they came into the hospital and I'll ask how they interacted. Wow. If they're going to treat that person poorly, I don't want them on our team. Mm. However, if they're warm and inviting and they say good morning and they act like we hope we act here in our, in our organization, then that's a piece of telling us that they may be a good fit for us. How we treat the person at the front desk, the housekeepers, the administrative assistants, um, those people that are on the front lines are very important to us. And I think going back and doing a little bit of uh, following the path where they came in is really some pretty good reconnaissance. That's excellent. I'm very impressed. Um, I'm actually smiling here. I think that I think that's incredibly impressive. Um, and so, so let's get on to sort of review, reflect, and learning. How do you ensure that values, organizational values, leadership values, are actually embedded, are changing the organization, are changing the culture? I think you have to ask. I think you have to go to your key constituents, which might be board members, they might be physicians, they might be um, staff members, members of the community, and ask that question of how do you see your organization? In our case, how do you see KSP Hospital? Um, do you vote with your feet? Do you come to our ser- to get our services when you need health care? Are, are you a customer? If so, why? What are the things that are so impressed? What, have you, what did you see in your last visit that made you want to come back and see your physician again? What are all of the components from the time that you decide to seek healthcare all the way through the billing process? How did we do? And did we live up to those aspirational values? And and did we meet those values that we have in our organization? A person can feel that when they come in, in our situation as a patient, Paul, They, they come in with this high level of anxiety because they're not sure exactly what is going to be done to them. Is it going to hurt? Mm -hmm. Is is there going to be a diagnosis that changes my life? How much is this going to cost? That anxiety level is so high. And our job is to reduce that anxiety level. And we want to do that through kindness and love and the way that we take care of our patients and their families. And so are we living that? Did, did we meet that when you had reason to use our organization for healthcare? That's fascinating. And and when you're thinking about your your leadership team and you're thinking about transition and promotion and progression, how do you how do you factor leadership? Sorry, sorry, how do you factor values and the extent to which those values have been demonstrated and exhibited and have shaped leadership behavior when you're making considerations and judgments about about promotion and progression? I think the higher you move up the organizational chart the less importance is on the day-to-day tasks that a person participates in. And there's more important in your values and the way you see the world and the way you treat other people. If you're not succeeding in the role that you're in, 
in meeting the values of our organization and interacting with your key constituents there, you're not going to do that when you're promoted. Mm-hmm. But if you're exceptional at that, then our team, myself as a mentor, can teach you some of the day-to-day activities that are necessary for your job. I don't know that I can teach and change values. Mm-hmm. I've not. I've been in the healthcare field for 35 years. I don't know that I can give you an example where I was successful in doing that, <laughs> nor, nor should I try. But if your parents did a good job and you bring strong values and your experiences have led you to the point where you're a values-driven leader, where you're a servant-driven leader, then we can teach you some of the blocking and tackling. Those things are more important as you move up the organizational chart. Excellent, excellent. So, David, um, for the purposes of our listeners, what would you say are the sort of the three or four key takeaways from what you've shared today on this episode around values-driven leadership? Well, the first would be to spend some time defining your own values, Paul. What does that mean to you? Another thought is to define your constituents. If you look at who's most important to you uh, from a professional setting, just to give you an example of that, for me, it's our board of directors. It's our physicians. It's my executive and management colleagues. It's our staff, our hourly employees that do the most important things in our organization and our community members. The next couple of things that I found are so intriguing to me. The first is ask great questions. Yes. I think the way that we ask questions can convey in such a meaningful way how engaged we are with the person that we're speaking with. We want to know more about what they think, especially those people that are closest to the work, whether they're the people that are on our team or our customers. Find opportunities to ask great questions And then also finding ways to express gratitude. Um, We have a philosophy around our organization that if we don't have something to celebrate over a certain amount of time, we'll make something up (laughs) because it's hard work. And so in big ways and little ways, it's so important to reach out and tell people that you care about them and that you're appreciative of the work that they do. I send notes and videos out to people on their work anniversaries, on their birthday. If their kid hits a home run to win a game in the local uh, little league sport or in a soccer game, I, I want to tell them that that's a really cool thing and that I'm appreciative that them and their family are part of our organization. So defining your constituents, defining your leadership philosophy, asking great questions and finding ways to express gratitude. Brilliant. David, I'm incredibly impressed and really appreciate those t- takeaways. I've certainly found this a terrific learning opportunity for me personally, and I've been in leadership for, for 20 years, so really appreciate it. But before I close, I was wondering, David, if you could tell us more about your forthcoming book. Kind of teased it a little bit at the beginning in the introduction. So tell us more about, about your book. Well, I would love to. Thank you, Paul. I actually finished the last chapter just this morning before we talked, and it's, it's off to the editors. It's with Forbes Publishing. As you mentioned, the title is Be the Best Part of Their Day, Supercharging Communication with Values-Driven Leadership. And what this is based on, Paul, is as part of my doctoral dissertation, I had the opportunity to interview teams at five hospitals around the United States, and they were five high-performing hospitals. And I interviewed people with the idea of speaking to the CEO and then speaking to those constituents that I mentioned earlier, the board members, the physicians, staff members, community members, to verify and validate that what the CEO was saying and the way that they answered the questions were actually happening. And from this, I found three best practices for engagement. One is engaging and connecting at a personal level. 
Two is engaging with intent through various mediums. And three is being mission focused and presenting United Leadership. And so under each of those three categories, I found five actions that can be taken. So for example, gratitude is one of those. Asking great questions is another. So what the book does, Paul, is to describe how a person can incorporate appreciative inquiry and these 15 best practices into their personal and professional life to engage in a more meaningful way with the people that matter the most to them. Fantastic. And David, if our listeners want to find out more about you, for example, via your website or social media, how can they contact you? Sure. Um, my website is drdavidschreiner.com. And so that, that's available out there. That has social media links as well. It also has some videos from some work that I've done on these best practices for engagement. Um, Paul, I love working with leaders and trying to help them to learn some of these things that I've had the opportunity to learn through my research. I would welcome a phone call, a text message, an email. Um, my email is uh, david at ksbhospital.com. And I'd love to interact with any of your listeners. If they have that motivation to join your podcast, they're the type of people that we want on our team. Thank you, Dr. David Schreiner. David, it's been a great pleasure, a great honor to have you on. And I would certainly look forward to having you back again, uh, perhaps uh, once your book has been published. We can talk about that some more as well. Thank you, Paul. And thank you for the important work that you're doing. Um, the, the people that you have on your podcast, the information that you're putting out to the world, I, I understand an upcoming TED Talk. You're doing meaningful work, and I'm very grateful for the work that you're doing. Thank you. So before I sign off, can I ask listeners to please share this podcast across your social networks? Please also check out the previous episodes of the 11th Thing podcast. And if you want to know more about the issues being covered in this series, head over to Believeonomics on YouTube and TikTok for a sneak peek. There are a range of videos there, which I'm sure you'll find really helpful. Finally, may I also ask that if you want to check out Paula Ladenica on medium.com, I post a new blog once a week. Thanks for listening. 